uh, you know, the, what's better in the New Testament. And so when we get to chapter 11, uh, chapter 11 has been, uh, and rightly so, been called, uh, you know, God's Hall of Fame uh, because it deals with the, uh, uh, the great saints and it deals with the concept of, 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 of their faith. And uh, there's so much in this chapter that we probably will not get through it all today because I want to take the time to, to look at each one of these and, and deal with every aspect of this and, and, and go from here. There's a lot of little key things in chapter 11 uh, that uh, we'll note them as we come through that actually lead to greater studies and we'll talk about some of it uh some of it you can you can do on your own but chapter 11 is like i said is probably the key chapter because it's brought us up to this point and now we're going to see uh the uh, the faithful uh and it's going to be focused on faith so we start out in verse 1 uh talking about faith and when he does this He's basically, in the first uh, three verses here, which we'll be in quite a while this morning, he, he gives us uh, an incredible insight into, into God's structure. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, tells us that everything that God made is a picture of something. In other words, God used himself and his son as a model for everything that he created. Most people never can see that. Um, they just get a very surface level of the Bible. They never get any depth to it to be able to see and understand how that all kind of works together. And yet, um, it, it certainly does. So he starts out in verse 1 of chapter 11 saying, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, for the evidence of things not seen. Now, you hear that verse a lot, and, uh, you know, that's about all the farther they take it. They basically say that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And they'll, they'll give you the standard uh, in interpretation of the word faith, that it's thing, uh, faith in things that you cannot see. And, you know, faith in the Bible and this is what he's getting ready to say here, but nobody ever carries it to the logical conclusion. Faith in the Bible is never you just exercising faith in something that you cannot see. And it's a thing where that's just, that is the Baptist mentality of faith. Well, you just got to have faith. You know, faith is just, you know, blindly believing that God is going to take care of you. So, you know, you don't have to really, you know, see it. You can just accept it by faith. And that's not exactly true. God never ex expects us to accept anything other than once you get saved, obviously. But once you become uh, his child and you're walking through your relationship and you're in ministry and you're doing things that you're stepping out by faith, it's, it's, it's a lot more. Faith is a lot more than just blindly stepping out and saying, uh, you know, I'm going to trust God in this. And, you know, most people can't trust God, and they really don't have the faith on a level that they need to have it, uh, simply because they don't understand that my faith in what God is going to do uh, with me tomorrow 
is based on what I've seen God do in the Old Testament with everybody else. And there's models, and this is what he gives you in chapter 11. He gives you, uh, he gives you 17 models here of faith. And he's not just giving you these people um, in a historical setting that, you know, they had faith in God, da-da-da-da-da-da. He's showing us that in each one of these, you're going to find ourselves, and you're going to find what they went through is what we're all going to go through, and you've got to exercise faith in that uh, based on what you've seen God do. My faith in what God is going to do with me tomorrow isn't just my blind stupidity that I'm dumb enough to trust God, though obviously I am. But God has given me more than that. He's given me the examples, and this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 10. He's given me the examples and the examples of, of things in the Old Testament that I can see and understand how God works because, hey, there is no difference in human nature from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I mean, they may live differently, wore different clothes, they may rode in chariots, we ride in cars, uh, you know, but fundamentally, human nature is always the same. And it's a thing where, you know, once you learn that, then you realize that what they went through back there is what you're going to go through in this life the circumstances that they face, and you'll see it when we start working through here, the circumstances they face, the things they're up against will be the exact same things that you and I are up against. And I don't trust God for tomorrow based on just the blindness of I know who he is. Though, honestly, that would be enough for me. But God gave me more than that. He gave me the examples and the examples of people uh, back in the Old Testament who through their faith in him, got through exactly what I've got to get through. So it's not like it's a blind concept, but it's more like that he gave me what I needed to get me through, you know, by what they had to have when they get through. You know, a great example of that that I use, and I use this a lot, um, is is the example of Job. You know, uh, Job goes through in seven days and experiences in seven days what you and I will never experience in a lifetime. And, you know, I don't know of anybody who goes through everything that Job went through to the magnitude that he did, uh, even in a life. Uh, But he went through it in a week. And I think what you see, uh, clearly what you see when you go through that is that, you know, he's probably the greatest example uh, if that he can get through it with what he didn't have, we can get through it with what we do have. And of course, as I've said many, many times, you know, Job didn't have a Bible. Uh, he didn't have a church. He didn't have any Christian friends. He didn't have a pastor. Um, he didn't have the Holy Spirit of God, uh, like in the sense that you and I do. Uh, he he didn't have any of the things. Uh, all he had was God. And to me, Job has always been a great book to show me that that in any given situation, even today, with all that we have, that God should be enough. All the other stuff is just the the add-ons that really make it easier for us. But Job didn't have any of that. And and we, with all of that. We fail miserably in every test that comes our way. 
and we struggle with things that we don't need to struggle with. We fail in things we really don't need to fail in. Uh, and our faith is not based on looking back and seeing what God has done, but worrying about will he come through for us tomorrow. And, you know, it's a thing where that's just a, that's a breakdown. And this chapter is a great chapter once we start getting into these men uh, and women. We start to see that uh, we learn from them because they went through the exact same things that we go through. Now, when Paul writes this, obviously he's writing it to Hebrews. He's not directly writing it to Christians. We know that. The book of Hebrews is written to Hebrews, not Hebrew Christians. <laughs> it's written to Hebrews. It's Paul's book to the nation of Israel revealing to them what they have failed to be able to grasp, and that is Christ and the New Testament. And they're still quagmired in the Old Testament with the law, and he's told that. He says that the priests are offering sacrifices every day that can never take away sins. So he's writing that to the Jew to show them what's better. Then he's using the examples of the patriarchs that they were familiar with to show them that they were looking for something that, and, and, and that has eluded the nation of Israel. And now everybody will teach you, and this is the standard teaching that, and we've talked about this many, many times, how in the Old Testament they look toward the cross and we look back to the cross. And so they will tell you that, uh, you know, the, the, the men here were looking forward to the cross uh, as we look back to the cross and they, they, they make that assumption and, of course, we do obviously look back to the cross. But the killer verse for that um, that destroys that whole idea is in chapter 11, verse 10, which I think is probably one of the greatest verses that just does away with that uh, her heresy of, of, uh, that leads into so many other problems when he's talking about Abraham. And it says in verse 10, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He wasn't looking for the cross. He was looking for a city. And the reason why people get that goofy mindset that they're looking forward to the cross, then we're looking back to the cross, because they do not see the distinction between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. He is involved in a literal, physical kingdom, Abraham is, that is connected with a city. And that city's foundations are built by God. That's where God established it. That's what he's looking for. He's not looking for somebody dying on the cross. He's looking for a city because his kingdom is the literal kingdom of heaven. I'm looking back to the cross because my kingdom is spiritual, the spiritual kingdom of God. So it's things like this. And this city here, you know, you'll find it in Isaiah 54, 11. You'll find it in Ezekiel chapter 48, verse 15. Um, you know, uh, you know you'll, you'll, you'll find it all over there. You'll find it in Luke chapter 2, verse 38, where they're looking for the redemption of Jerusalem, not the redemption of their souls. They're looking for a city. So, when we move into chapter 11, I want you to understand basically where we're coming from. And he says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Then he says this, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. 
Now, there's two things here that are, as far as I am concerned, you know, you could spend the, probably the next two years trying to put together and lay out. The first one, notice that he uses the word worlds in a plural sense. That is completely missed by just about everybody. And he used it again in chapter 1. In fact, Hebrews is the only book that he makes the, the, the word worlds in a, in a uh, plural sense. And he's telling us very clearly that there's other worlds out there. And it's a thing where, you know, just in the last 20, 30 years, they have, uh, they have discovered, and it, they're adding to it every day, there's whole research teams that are devoted to discovering out there all these other worlds or all these other planets. I think the last count that I saw was that they found uh, an additional 1,800 worlds out there or planets. And they call them exoplanets because they're outside our solar system. And they cannot see them. Uh, There's no visual of them. Even with the largest telescope or the Hubble or whatever, there's no way to, to see them. But the way that they know that they're there is because they do a, a study of, of the stars, which they feel are more like our st- sun or our stars. And what happens over a period of time, those planets or planet will eclipse or go across the front of that star. And when that happens... Say the star is at, and, and they they, um, they they give they assign magnitude numbers to stars for their brightness. Uh, the brightest star that we can see would be plus one magnitude. And with your naked eye, you, if you got good eyesight, you can go down to maybe fourth or fifth magnitude. Binoculars will take you to six, seven magnitude. There's a big leap between magnitudes. Uh, once you get past five and six, I mean a big leap in brightness, and they're looking at they're looking at stars out there that when when that exoplanet goes across and eclipses that that the brightness dims uh, sometimes almost a magnitude, and they record that, so they know now that something has eclipsed across that sun star same thing. And the brightness has dimmed. They also know the, the based on the size of that star, and stars again are categorized from, you know, red giants to uh, to white dwarfs. Our star is our sun is just a normal average star. They know that depending on the the the, the magnitude of decrease of the brightness, how big the planet is. I mean, you know, it's an incredible how that they figure all that stuff out. And so there's whole research teams that are given to that. And, you know, they are rethinking completely the aspect of, of life out in the universes now. Completely rethinking the whole thing. Where, where 20, 30 years ago, they were saying that finding life out in, in the universe would be, a, a, you know, almost an impossibility. Now it's just the opposite. They're actually telling us that these exoplanets are huge, 
maybe a thousand to ten thousand times bigger than the earth. But they all believe that they're 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 much like Earth, that they're inhabitable, and you know I I, I don't know how they determine that, but but I believe that that's true. You see what they're finding and what they're seeing is what Hebrews chapter eleven verse uh, two says, and then Hebrews one says about the worlds. Now we know that there's no life in outer space as the scientific world would like to find it. And we know that, um, that there's no, no other beings out there, we would call them aliens, that are, that are some kind of life form that exists. We know that that's not true. We know from the Bible that the worlds that he talks about here are, are worlds that are out there. But we also know that uh, there's no life on it as we know it because we know that these worlds are for a future thing. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, when of the increase, when God comes back and establishes his government, that the increase of that government, there'll be no end and it'll go on forever. Again, the model for that is Adam and Eve in the garden. If and I know God had his own plan and I and I, I understand that. And but I'm saying what you see in Genesis with Adam and Eve is what God's original plan was that God stopped to deal with the sin question, but he's going to put back in effect Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7 after Revelation chapter 21 or 22 in there someplace. If Adam and Eve would not have sinned, there was sinless childbearing. There was, you know, there was uh, the longevity of life. If they'd have got the tree of life, if they wouldn't have fallen, they'd have lived forever. And they would have reproduced children, and those children reproducing, everybody would have got the tree of life, and it would have been an endless progression of having children. And in a very short time, the earth would have been populated. And what was God going to do? Well, God stopped that plan from happening because God's plan was to uh, for the redemption of man. And God knows what he's doing, and I don't have time to get into all that this morning, but God... God allowed that to happen. It was part of God's plan that they fell. He gave them the choice. And then God, just like he gave us the choice, and then God makes up the difference all the way down. But we're seeing in that beginning there what the plan is going to be on the other side. That's what the exoplanets are for. It is for the development of as I said over there, you know, on our, on our chart at the beginning, God's original purpose was to have a, a universe, and I use that as a, as a shallow term, as a, to have a universe filled with people who populated with people that would worship and fellowship with him that he could have fellowship with. And that plan started in Genesis 3 as the model, then got postponed as God worked through the sin question and God established two identities that he had to have before he kicked that off. The first one is the nation of Israel for God. The second one is a bride of Christ for you and for me. Both those, both those fill a, a, a role in eternity that has to be complete. So God did it the way he did it but when Revelation chapter 22 is finished and we're into eternity, we're going to revert back to 
the plan with Adam and Eve in the garden. And that's why he uses the word worlds here. Because those worlds are going to be for a future time when God actually fulfills everything that he is going to do that he started and gave us the model in Genesis chapter 1, but then postponed it because he's working through in these last 6,000 years, we talked about last Sunday, getting everything ready. Now you can see how man would, unsaved man, would try to get lost, get lose all that, change all that to, to hide that plan. And of course, the world has done it through evolution and the and the scientific world that is totally against the Bible. And then Christians have done it because they have rejected the Word of God and don't believe anything that I'm telling you anymore, and this is where the problem comes in. So they're left with the concept that when we go to heaven into eternity, you get a pair of wings, a harp, and you <laughs> pluck it on it for all of eternity, and that's all the farther they can go. They, once you shut down the Bible, God shuts down the revelation of what he's doing. And they have no clue of why Ezekiel chapter 40 through chapter 48 is in your Bible. They have no clue how to explain Isaiah chapter 6 verses, uh, you know, uh, 7, 8, and 9. They have no clue how to put all of that stuff together. When they come into Hebrews chapter 11 or Hebrews chapter 1, when they see the word worlds, it means nothing to them because it's a complete breakdown of everything that... uh, uh, they want to believe uh, based on what the Bible says. So right now, the clicker is clicking. They're finding more of them every month, and that's because they're everywhere. Now, I say that to say this. They're finding what they're finding in just a very small part of our our universe. And when I use the word universe, we also could call that our galaxy. Galaxies are made up of trillions and 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 trillions of stars. If every one of those stars has planets revolving around it, you would see and understand the infinite number of planets that would be within our own universe, our own galaxy. Now, in the vastness of space, which the Bible calls the second heaven or the firmament, there's an endless amount of those galaxies. I remember when they put the Hubble uh, telescope up there uh, way back in the day, how it revolutionized, you know, astronomy and being able to do things. And they, 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 they took a picture at one part of a sky that if you went out tonight and you could find that, you could hold out a a, a pin, you know, a little uh, straight pin, and you could, the head of that pin would cover that part of sky. They left the Hubble in a photographic mode for like 24 hours. And when they developed it, it came out and they saw it in that one little space they had picked up over uh, 300,000 galaxies in that one space. Now, every one of those galaxies were our size or bigger. They all contain numerous stars. And, I mean, that was just in one point. They are everywhere. They are everywhere. Because God's original plan was to, uh, to, to have, and Adam was told to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. When the earth got replenished, then God was going to move them out. 
But he couldn't do that because God's plan wasn't totally complete. So he put a put a temporary hold on it till he worked out Israel and the church and the redemption of man. And by the time we get to Revelation 22 and on, everything now is done and complete as far as God is concerned. And he's, he's, he's happy now and complete with what he's doing. So, you know, the key word here, worlds, again, every word in your Bible is important. Every, when you see the difference between world, plural, and world, a world singular and worlds plural, man, uh, there's a world of difference between the two. And uh, it's a thing where, uh, you know, once you realize that, it begins to open up on a scale, the Bible, that very frankly, most of God's people in all of their lives can never get to. God's people, all of their lives are so shallow and empty when it, I mean, they got the basic basics down, but they don't even have those down very well. But trying to get in and understand an infinite God with an infinite plan and trying to put yourself in that and see what God is doing, it is so foreign to what the Baptist and certainly the neo-evangelical mentality is that, uh, you know, you are just blown out of the water as, a, as teaching heresy because they know nothing about the Bible. But God will put these little key words in here and and then you you take it from there. And once he put the word worlds in there, to me, understanding what he's doing in Genesis, understanding Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7, what he's going to do past Revelation 22, and then you see that everything that God has is doing in the last 6,000 years of man's history is to set up what God's going to do in Revelation 22 when eternity comes. And I, I've laid it out to you this before. You have eternity passed over here, or you have eternity in a straight line. And then you have uh, where God put a parenthesis in eternity. And so that makes now everything on this side of the parenthesis, eternity past, everything on this side of eternity future. That little space in that parenthesis is is 7,000 years. And that's 7,000 years God works out everything that he wants to work. And when he gets it done, then he moves on with what he started back here. And, you know, most of God's people uh, cannot get that. I'm going to tell you right now, and I don't have time to get into it. Everything that we're doing in ministry right now is a model of what we're going to be doing out there. Everything. And most people, they never come to that conclusion. There's a reason why when in the, in the church age, when you got saved, it's different from the Old Testament. There's a reason why you are called the body of Christ right now. Even though First John says that, you know, now are we the sons of God, but it doth not yet appear what we shall be. There's a reason why he sealed the Holy Spirit of God inside you. There's a reason why when he comes back, you're going to get Christ's glorified body and be just like Jesus Christ. And again, all this is completely foreign to everybody out there. But there's a reason for that. And most people can't ever get the basics of why they get Christ's body. They actually walk around thinking that they're going to have their own body, but just in a glorified sense. <laughs> I mean, that is so blasphemous. I don't even know where to begin with it. But that's the mindset because they're so shallow. If you're going to get a perfect glorified body, ladies and gentlemen, 
in all of the history of the world and certainly in the Bible, there was only one, and that is Jesus Christ. That's why right now the church, us, is called the body of Christ. And, you know, he's living inside you, and there's coming a time when he's going to give you his body, and you are going to be 1 Corinthians 15, you're going to be everything that he is. There's a reason for that. That's not just saying, okay, we're all going to go through eternity, and, you know, it's cold out there in outer space, so you don't, you'll get a glorified body so you don't have to wear a coat. There's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. And he says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, what God has already done, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now, that is the greatest verse anywhere in your Bible on atomic structure and a key to understanding God. Because in Malachi chapter 4, when he talks about the second coming of Christ, he says that the sun is going to rise with healing in his wings to come back at the second coming of Christ, and the sun there is the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not spelled S O N. It's spelled S-U-N, clearly giving you that the picture and the model of understanding all of this is found in the things that God created, Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. And right now, the chair that you're sitting on, the table that you got your Bible on, the car that's out in the parking lot, and this building and everything in your world, including you, is held together by things that do not appear. And that is what we call atoms. There's three parts to an atom because an atom is a picture. Got here again, when God created the structure of everything, he used himself as a pattern. So atoms have three parts. Atom has protons, neutrons, and electrons. And back in 1945, uh, a guy by the name of uh, Robert Oppenheimer he was the head of, of the project that split the atom and made the atomic bomb. And his project for developing the atom and splitting the atom, and this guy was lost. He was a German that we got out of Germany before Hitler took over, and uh, he was as lost as could be. But here again, unsaved man is bound by the book that they even reject. So in his endeavors to split the atom, which is a type of God, which is made up of three parts, he called his project, Project Trinity. Good casting. Because that's exactly what atomic structure is all about. Now, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about this and try to help you uh, grab this and, and understand it. When God created everything, the basic element that Hebrews 11 is talking about was the atom. And when God used the atom to put everything together, the invisible things that we can't see that hold everything together, he made it after the model and the pattern of himself, Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. So there's three parts to it. And God, you know, uh, 
when he put that together, there was three parts to it, as I told you. There was a, you know, there was a, uh, there was the, the, uh, the protons, which are a positive charge. And then there are electrons, which is a negative charge. So now we have within what God made the pattern for everything. The positive is God, the negative is the devil. They should, if you ever took two magnets and reversed the polarity on them, they, they push each other away. And when you have a positive and a negative, they, it, they, they push each other away. And yet, what happens is, is in the, in the atom, there's something in there that holds them together that keeps them from, from spinning off into the universe. And that is a picture of the Bible when it talks about that he is before all things in Colossians 1, verse 16 and 17, and by, things all things, by him all things consist. He's what holds it together. And, you know, it's a thing where... Uh, You take the atom, and it's just like everything else that God made. Man can do good with it, or man can do bad with it. If you take atomic structure and turn it into atomic power, you can run a city for 100 years. That's a good thing. If you take that same atomic power and put it into a bomb, you can destroy every city in America. That's a bad thing. And it's, it, the atom follows everything that man does. And, uh, you know, the key to, uh, I, I honestly believe that the, the key to long life before Genesis and the flood, and it changes after that, is I believe that it was a difference in the, uh, in the uh, radiation, the cosmic radiation that came in the solar radiation that came from the sun. And I think that there was a vast difference. And when that all changed, it, you know, it all happened. And, you know, in, in our universe, you have two kinds of radiation. And what happens is, is that when they take the atom, and through the process that they do, they split that atom, what they do is they split the, the negative from the positive. And when that happens an atomic explosion takes place. Now, most people, this is too far out for them, but if you want a basic, fundamental, plausible understanding of God, God is, a, is the ultimate nuclear reactor. Every place you find him talking about in his glory, Revelation 1.14, Matthew 17.1, Daniel 7.9, Matthew 28, he's always likened to a white light with heat. If you ever saw an atomic bomb go off, it's a white light with heat. And God put the universe together with the atom. He holds it together. Man takes it and splits it. He has the choice to harness it to do good, or he has the chance to split it and do evil, which we know where that's going. But over there in the Bible at the end when, when God renovates the earth by fire and he destroys everything and purges it out, the elements burn with a fervor and heat. You know what God does? God just, with all of the universes and the atoms that he holds together, he reverses that process and you have one absolute galactic atomic bomb. And it absolutely purges out everything in this universe. 
And then God creates a new heavens and a new earth, which wherein dwelleth righteousness. And it's a thing where, you know, right now man takes one atom, isolates it, and he splits it, and look what he gets. What do you imagine is going to happen in the vastness of outer space, the second heaven, which has got to be burned out and purged out? How does God do that? He simply does it by by atomic fission because God is a white light and it's a thing where uh, he's always likened to that. In fact, did you ever notice that over there in Zechariah 14, 12 and 2 Peter 3, 10, uh, it talks about when Christ comes back, that the, when he, he does what he does, that the people... If you are familiar with Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the people actually melted on the spot. There was a, there was, there's, you could go to Hiroshima or Nagasaki today and you could look where there was a burn, there's a shadow in the cement and that shadow is the shadow of the person who was standing there when they melted. And the people, the skin just melted off of their face with the intense heat and the blast and the white light. And yet when you go to those places in the Bible, Zechariah 14 and 2 Peter 3, the people are melting, their skin is melting, their eyeballs are melting just like it was in Nagasaki and Hiroshima because that's how God destroys it, because that's what God is. Now, in our universe, there's two kinds of radiation. And nuclear fission produces radiation. If you harness nuclear power, you have to isolate it because if you get next to it, you get radiation poisoning and you die because atomic structure gives off radiation. It doesn't bother us right now because it's, it's unmolested and God is using it the way he intended, Hebrews chapter 11. It's the invisible things that make things visible and holds it all together. Once man starts to mess with it, then he... He unlocks the radiation that is within it. And if you're on a nuclear submarine that's nuclear powered, or you're at a work at Three Rivers Nuclear Plant or wherever the case may be, you'll find that the reactors are all shielded. And if you walk in there without any kind of protection, you get radiation poisoning and you die. When the bomb was dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima, in both cases, immediately over 100,000 people were killed in a flash. Over the next three or four months, another 400,000 died. And they died not from the blast, but from the radiation the blast put out. The radiation that comes from a, an atomic blast is, is as equal as dangerous and deadly as the blast itself. And that's because when you unleash those atoms, they put forth a radiation. Now, in our universe... We have two kinds of radiation. The first radiation is called solar radiation. And if you know anything about the sun, as I said in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, it says, For behold, the day cometh, second coming, that shall burn as an oven. There it is. And all the proud, all the wicked do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day cometh shall burn them up. Going to burn them up saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Now, here it comes, verse 2. 
but unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings and you shall go forth and grow up the calves out of the stall. Now, when you look at that son of righteousness, there again, it's not spelled S-O-N as in the son of God. It's spelled S-U-N. And what he's showing you there and giving you is a great key that the son that we have, our son, which is a normal star, is a type of God the Father. God is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Son gives off three types of rays. It gives off x-rays. X-rays are invisible. You can't see them. There's God the Father. It gives off light rays. Light rays, you can see it. There's Jesus Christ. He was the visible parent of the invisible God. It gives off heat rays, which you can't see, but you can feel, type of the Holy Spirit of God. And from that sun comes solar radiation. Solar radiation is what would fry every one of us. We're only 93 million miles away from the sun. And the solar radiation would come from the sun would toast every one of us. You need a sunblock of about 6 million. It would kill everything on this planet. It would fry everybody on this planet. The thing that keeps the solar rays from coming into this planet is the ozone layer that God has put around this planet. This is why the scientists are worried about the automobiles and the human gases that are put off and made in the coal furnaces and all of this stuff that they say is eroding the ozone layer. And if the ozone layer goes, we go. And it's a thing where the sun is constantly putting out solar radiation. And we know the source of the solar radiation comes from the sun. It's deadly. When the astronauts go up into space, they are very vulnerable to because they have no ozone layer around us. And most people don't know, but the average spaceship, like the, 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 the lab up there and all that stuff, the skin of that is no, th- no thicker than a piece of paper you got in your notebook. And it's the vacuum that holds it all in. But I'm telling you, there's no protection for those guys. And they have been very lucky because from time to time, there's a solar eruption that pushed out a burst of solar radiation. And where the earth may be protected from it, the guys up in outer space are not. And it would fry everything up there and kill them in in an instant. And it's a thing that it's one of the real hazards of, of space travel. And it's the fact that you get outside the atmosphere, uh, outside the ozone layer, and you are now susceptible to solar radiation. This is probably, as I said earlier, this is probably what the difference was between the longevity of life before the flood and after the flood. After the flood, everything changed. Our atmosphere obviously changed. And probably connected with that was whatever God adjusted in the ozone layer that cut almost immediately the lifespan in half. And then in two or three generations, it's down to 120. And then by the time you get into Psalms 90, it's three score and 10. And, you know, it it, it was a drastic change. And, you know, it's a thing where that, uh, it all goes back to solar radiation, which is a, 
is a, a source that we know that comes, you know, comes from the sun. Then there's another type of radiation that is called cosmic radiation. We do not, they do not know where that source comes from. It's emitted someplace in our universe. Cosmic radiation is bombarding the planet all times. Where solar radiation comes from the sun and is aimed at planet Earth, cosmic radiation fills the universe, second heaven, and everything out there. And of course, they've never, 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 never been able to, uh, they've never been able to uh, pinpoint the source of cosmic radiation. Well, once you understand Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, once you understand that God created the atom and nuclear fission is part of God, not part of science, then you know that there's a point in heaven where God's throne is, and God, if he is, and there's no doubt in my mind, is that gigantic nuclear reactor who is a million, million, million. I mean, if you would go look at the sun, the sun is nothing more than a hundred billion, trillion, zillion atomic blasts going off every second. That's all it is. And when it goes off, it puts out radiation, solar radiation. But the sun and the surface, the thing that may, it's just an ongoing nuclear explosion times a billion every second. In time, in time, our earth will use up all of that energy and it'll become a dying star. And this is another thing that everybody's worried about. They're worrying about that, you know, 100 million years from now or 100,000 years from now, the sun will burn out, then what are we going to do? Um, you, you know, and of course, you know, that's not going to happen. And it's a thing where the sun is burning up, I don't know how many billions of tons of energy every second. They measure it, actually. Now, this is, and here again, they'll never tell you this, but this is, if you know your Bible, this is the reason why evolution cannot be true and man cannot be here for uh, the earth can't be millions and millions and millions of years old. The sun is losing energy at a protracted rate, which they can measure. If you would back that up at man and the earth being here for millions and millions of years, and you would compile that back into the sun's structure, you'd have a sun that would fill five, five solar systems. And so it's, it's ridiculously stupid. But they won't ever tell you that. They'll, they'll see that, but if they, they would admit that, then they've got to look for another alternative, and that would be God, and that ain't going to happen. Our sun is going to become a burnout rock at some point, as far as science is concerned. Why? Because it's consuming energy, and it's putting out a million blasts of that, of that energy every second, and it's putting out radiation. Cosmic radiation has to come from a fixed point. And God is so big and God is so demonstratively uh, powerful in the place where he's at. Well, now we know that he's likened to a white light and he used atomic structure and the sun to show us what he's like. Then to put it into terms you can all understand, God is a mega nuclear reactor up there. When I say that, I don't mean he's a machine. I mean as a being. 
And everything down here you're seeing, man gets a hold of, he doesn't understand because he doesn't trust God and believe in God. But when God created this universe, he made it through a model of himself, Adam. Atomic structure based on who he is and based on the model of two opposing forces that he holds together and that when they get separated, it turns the world into an atomic bomb and radiation kills everybody. And, of course, it's the model that he uses. And he's holding it together now. He's making things that appear to you by things that you can't see, atoms. But there's coming a day when he's going to purge out everything in the second heaven. And I cannot, I mean, that is in a, everything in God's second heaven. But that is a, that is every universe, every exoplanet, that is everything. And the only way he can make that megaton purging through fire is through nuclear fission. And he just undoes the atoms that are holding it all together and you have what you have on the sun in a galactic scale throughout the second heaven. A huge nuclear blast that purges out and burns out everything that there is. Now, as I said, we know that solar radiation comes from it comes from the sun. Cosmic radiation is unknown uh, and uh, they, they, don't know, they don't know where it's coming from. But now this is why God told man back in Genesis when he gave him dominion that he'd have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowls of the air, and the things that were on the earth. He never gave man permission nor dominion over outer space. So any space program, whether it's NASA, whether it's the communist or China or whoever, when they go into outer space, they're violating that principle and putting themselves at great risk simply because the reason why God told man not to go out there was solar radiation and cosmic radiation. And, you know, when God made the planet Earth... And you'll notice that, that there's, there's nine planets in our solar system. And the only one mentioned uh, other than Jupiter and a reference to Mars <coughs> is the Earth. <coughs> but what I want you to see is that all the other planets were named after the pagan gods. Uh, they all were. Um, you know, Pluto is the farthest planet out, and Pluto was the god of the underworld in darkness. So Pluto is the darkest planet because it's so far from the sun. Jupiter was the giant uh, planet of our solar system, 868,000 miles in diameter. So it's, you know, it's the king of the planets. So hence, down through history, you had Jupiter, Zor, uh, Zeus, uh, Thor, uh, whatever country, whatever it was, had their own name for the king of the planets. Then you have Saturn, that's a god. Mercury was a god. Mercury is the, it was the fleeting god because Mercury is the closest to the sun and it travels the fastest, so it was named Mercury. Uh, every one of them was named by God except one, and this one was named by the world, which was pagan, except one. That's this one. God called this Earth because God had a plan for Earth. And that plan is, revol- is revealed as you go through the Bible of what God why God created it, why he did what he did with it, 
why he's doing it now and where he's going with it. And you'll find that throughout the Bible. And he's protected everybody on earth by the ozone layer. The other planets do not have that. It's a fable. It's a fable to think that man will ever travel to Mars. Uh, it's a thing where uh, that it, it's, a, it's an impossibility. I'm not saying it's an impossibility because it's too technically out there. Hey, let me tell you something. <laughs> the sons of God came down in Genesis chapter 6, buddy. They gave these guys some great insight into how to get back up in outer space. And at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, they were putting it into effect. And then God came down and stopped it. And we are crawling back to that point where, you know, we're getting into space travel like it was some new idea. And, of course, all you have to do is go back into the cave back there where men, you know, you know, wrote on the walls the things they saw, and it's very clear that there's people flying around out there. You know, and everybody thinks that uh, that, that was the, where the caveman lived. And, of course, if you're any kind of brain at all, you know that they, that's, not, they, uh, that's not where the caveman meant. That's where they went to the bathroom. Well, I don't care where you go. Isn't somebody scribbling on the restroom walls or wherever you go? Well, that's what they were doing on the caves, man. Come on, give me a break. I don't have to be a rocket science to figure that one out. Now, I don't know what they used. I don't think they had Sharpies, but you never know. You never know. But anyway, all of that comes back to the fact that uh, uh, we could never get there, not because of the technical skills. Man could probably develop in time a rocket well, obviously he has. He hasn't gotten one big enough yet to get people there. The problem is going to be cosmic radiation. Cosmic radiation. You could not build a spaceship that would ever get off the ground that would protect you from cosmic radiation. And a trip to Mars, even if you went at the closest approach, would take you probably eight months, traveling at 25,000 miles an hour. Probably take you six to eight months. So you're exposed to six to eight months that way. Obviously, you're not going to stay there, plant a flag for 15 minutes and head back. You're going to stay there for a period of time. Let's say you stay there for another six months. Then you get back in your little kitty car and you fly back to Earth, which takes another six to eight months. You have almost two years now. And during those two years, you've had absolutely no protection from cosmic radiation. Not anything. And uh, it's a cosmic radiation is a thing where uh, from what they have learned from our own um, little piddly space endeavors, that in outer space, Bone and muscle tissue deteriorate 1% a month. So if you're gone for two years, what do you think that's going to be? In a vacuum of space with cosmic radiation, your heart begins to shrink and your blood capacity begins to decrease. Women in space, when they go up to space, cease to have their, 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 their periods or their cycle. The Apollo men, when they were up in Apollo for 
weeks at a time, they reported seeing strange lights. And they were ordering down saying, strange, we're seeing strange lights streak across strange lights. When they finally got back and analyzed it, it wasn't strange light. It was cosmic radiation going through their brains that they thought they were seeing lights. These cosmic rays rain down on every planet in a lethal mode except one. When Alan Shepard, and you're going to see as these guys went on, Alan Shepard was the first guy in space, he died of leukemia. You're going to find that being out there and getting exposed to solar radiation as he was and cosmic radiation, um, it, it just, it, it destroys them. And of course, this is, the, this is the problem that they face because out in, out in outer space, where man is told not to go, there's no protection from the cosmic radiation that is the light and the glory and the power of God emanating from the throne of God, as the Bible tells you, it's north, sound 76, uh, emitting from that and fulfilling the universe with all. Now, this is one of the reasons why, I mean, just one of the basic minute reasons why you have to have a glorified body when you get this thing cooking. Because our job, your job, and my job is going to require us to uh, be exposed to that in what we're, we, our, our function is going to be. The people on the exoplanets, the people that he, Genesis 1, 1 and all that stuff that he's doing, they will have the protection, but you and I will, 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 will be exposed to that in what our job is. And you know, this is one of the fundamental reasons why you have to get a glorified body. I mean, it's a very minute reason. I mean, the other reasons are, you know, how to do with God and everything that God is. And it's a thing where, you know, so when you understand that, um, you find it when the people go in outer space. Wally Sharar was up there for 11 days uh, in Apollo 1. Uh, the Russian guy was up there for 430 days. We have the people up in the space shuttle and the Skylab and all those things up there. They go through, they're in an environment that God never intended a human man to be in. They're in an environment where they're on manufactured air. They're living in plastic suits. They're living in a plastic bubble. They're, they're completely out of the element uh, and all the effects of the radiation coming down on them affects every aspect. They get depressed. They come to the point where they lose their bodily uh, strength and all of those things because they are in an environment where they are not supposed to be. Now, you take that if man is going to go to Mars. Once you get out of Earth's atmosphere and you're out in outer space. Again, you're in a place that God never intended us to be in a mortal body because our bodies were made and connected to time. Now you've stepped into a realm where time is not relevant anymore. You're, for all practical purposes, you're in eternity. The farther you get away from the sun, where the sun now just looks like a bright star, 
you lose all, as a human being, you lose all touch with the senses by which God built into you to live on this earth. There's no up, there's no down, there's no left, there's no right, and there's no time. And we watch so much in the movies about, you know, going into hypersleep where you're going to travel for 30 years, you know, to get to some distant planet. And you wake up in 30 years, you know, and you look the same. You haven't, your beard hasn't grown or nothing. You know, it's just goofy stuff. God never intended man to be off this planet because our bodies are connected to time. And when man violates that, he gets into a world that is completely broken down to everything that he knows and the way God made him. So he's going to have some not only physical problems, he's going to have psychological problems because he's going to, I mean, just take the average person and put you in a room someplace where you don't know if it's day or night, you don't have a watch and you can't tell. You will go absolutely crazy. If you lay down and sleep for three or four hours and you'll wake up, you don't know if it's morning now or not. You don't know if it's time to go to sleep. You don't know if it's time to get up. You slept for three or four hours. You don't know how long you slept when you woke up. Man, now you don't have a watch. You don't, can't tell. You can't see the sun. You don't know if it's daytime or nighttime. You don't know if it's time to go back to sleep. You get tired all the time. You wake up and it's time. And it absolutely, psychologically will destroy you. Why? Because God built us to time. Times and seasons, he told us last week. You take man out of that element, and he's in trouble. And then add to him being in a place where now we know that God is a nuclear reactor who built everything by atomic structure based on himself, and he's holding it all together. And the things that appear are now made by the things that we can't see then you begin to understand, you know, that God, uh, when you get off this planet, you're into a place where you don't need to be. And God has protected us in this planet through the ozone layer, but there's no protection off this planet. And then you're susceptible to the very things that God has protected us from here. And, of course, you know, the result of that, the disaster. Now, obviously, I'm not worried about the sun burning out before you know, the Lord comes back, and I'm certainly not worrying about the ozone layer. Uh, God is going to, you know, everything is in God's timing, times in the season. So we're right on track with where God is. This idea, you know, that, you know, God is, something's going to happen to this world that, you know, that uh, is outside what the Bible tells us is going to happen, it's just stupidity. I mean, you know, somebody says, well, we may get hit with a comet. We could get hit with a meteor. They're telling us we're overdue for being, being that's what killed the dinosaurs, you know. And that's what, you know, it's, we're overdue. We're going to get hit again, and it's going to destroy everything. And it's going to, you know, I always thought about that. Now, there's craters on this earth where they say that the, the, the Gulf of Mexico is actually a gigantic meteor creator that killed the dinosaurs. And, of course, you know, that's not true. But you go out to Arizona, there's the big crater out there where a meteor actually did hit. The, you look at the moon, the moon is pocked with craters, I mean, up one side and down the other. And, uh, you know, and it, these guys will tell you that 
you know, it, this all happened, this all happened, you know, and it, it could happen again today. But do you realize and understand that uh, um, the moon now, we've been watching it probably since the 1200s, and there's no great meteor impacts on the moon? Some of them suckers up there are 120 miles apart. Whatever landed into that thing really tore it up. Not happening anymore. Venus has got craters all over it. Mars has got uh, craters all over it. I mean, uh, but there's no impacts now. What happened? Because those impacts took place between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. That's what happened. And I'm not worried about getting hit with a meteor. I'm not worried about going to get hit with a comet. You know, I, I, what you ought to be worried about is a holy God who's a nuclear reactor is going to go down and fry everybody out of this planet. And that's going to be the second coming, likened to the day star arising. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to show up, Malachi chapter 4, either with healing in his wings or he's going to burn everything up. Because you can take an atom and you can run a city with it for good for a year or you can destroy a city in a blink of an eye. So when God made atomic structure, that in Hebrews chapter 11 is the great chapter on it. It, define, it gives you the insight that you want to go back to, to the defining chapter, which is in Malachi, and you put the two together. You see now that what he's doing in Hebrews is not only going to show the Jews here what's better, which he's going to show them a life of faith, but he's also defining when God created everything, the pattern by which he did it. It gives a great insight to what the world science cannot answer. Sure, solar radiation comes from the sun. That's not a hard thing to figure out. Cosmic radiation. There's a place in this universe with a throne that is bigger than the second heaven. And a being is sitting on it. The Bible says no man can see God and live. You know why? Because he will fry you in the white light and the heat that every place he's defined in the Bible, it's a white light heat. Hair like white wool. The light is luminous that lights him. Why? Because he's a nuclear, he's a hundred billion nuclear fission going off at the same time in a body. And it radiates down through this universe. And that same radiation at some point in time is going to become God's glory. It's going to fill this once it all is done. And you've got to keep in the mind, not only do we have the ozone layer, but in Genesis chapter 1, when he wiped out the universe, uh, he filled it with water, the second heaven. And then when he begins to do everything else, he splits that water and he pushes water up at the top of the second heaven, water at the bottom of the second heaven, and what is in between now is what we know as outer space with all the galaxies, planets, and everything up there. But there's a body of water up there that is so immense, it's unbelievable scale. And that's why the light, if, if that water was not there, there'd be no day or night. It's that huge body of water. And, and scientists, you know, they scoff at that. And yet, when they send a guy up in outer space, they call him an astronaut. Astronaut, really? Astro, outer space, not. Nautical term, the Navy, a water. The Russians send them up, they're a cosmonaut. Cosmo, stars, not nautical, water. 
but they don't even get it. And it's that, if you were, if you were uh, sitting over the Titanic where it was sunk, and you were on the surface in the brightest, brightest, sunniest day you could ever see, if you would go down to see that, as you, the farther down you went, the darker you would get. And pretty soon when you get down where she's at over a mile, uh, oh, five miles, she's really down there. When you're down there, it's pitch black. It's pitch black. Why? Because the water filters out the light and the light cannot get through. That's exactly what the deep does. It filters out the light of God that it does not come through because if it wasn't there, the light and the glory of God would just light everything up 24-7. Now, it's that same thing that God, the cosmic rays come down through and get through because they're different than light rays. They come through and they're deadly. But God has put around the earth the ozone layer in connection with the deep that makes it habitable for us that we don't get fried. You get down in outer space and lose that, you're into some problems. So you can see where, you know, and I've said it over and over and over and over again, you know, the Bible is the greatest scientific book the world has ever seen. It'll give you the dimensions of the universe, the size of the universe, the shape of the universe. It'll give you God's plan for the universe. There's three plans in the Bible clearly laid out. God has a plan for the earth. God has a plan for the second heaven. And God has a plan for our lives. And those three go together. And God's people never figure out God's plan for the earth. They certainly never figure out what God's doing with the second heaven. And because of that, they'll never figure out what God's plan for them. Because you're on this earth, this earth is in this, in this universe, and God has a plan for all three, and they're connected. And whatever we're doing right now, I'm just telling you, Whatever, whatever we're doing right now or whatever we're not doing right now. It's a model of what's going to be taking place after Revelation chapter 22 in one way or the other. And uh, it, it God, always, God always shows us what is going to be by what he's already done. If you learn that piece of the puzzle, it'll open up more Bible to you, and that is the essence and the basis of faith. Faith is not something that you just blindly stumble into and say, oh, I'm going to trust God. That may sound admirable to some people. It's pretty stupid to somebody who knows the Bible because God never asked you to do that. God never asked you to look forward till you first look back. He wants to teach you where he's going by from where he has been. And you're not to trust just God by blind faith and say, well, I really trust God, so I'm going to step out by faith. That's about, And that's why so many times it fails in people's lives. I don't know how many times I've heard somebody say, well, this is what God wants me to do, and this is what I'm going to do, and I'm sure God has called me to do this. And then either you were wrong or God was wrong. You don't make a move forward without understanding God's moves back here because that's how... That's how he works. It's not faith in blindness of moving out. It's faith in seeing what he did back here and knowing what he did for them. I can trust him. He'll do it for me. That's my faith. It's not based on, I'm just going to trust God. See how that works for you. It's about you looking back and seeing in the examples and the examples of these great men in Hebrews chapter 11, which has been rightly called God's Hall of Fame. And watching what God has done back there and know that he's going to do the same. That's why the Bible says Jesus Christ is saying, what is it? 
yesterday, today, and forever. You learn where you're going from where he's been because human nature never changed. And God's got a plan for them just like he has a plan for you. Yeah, their plan was to find a city. Your plan is to find a city too. Except theirs was a literal city. Ours is a spiritual city. Theirs was literal Jerusalem. Mine's New Jerusalem. Same process. The quicker God's people learn that, operate within that sphere, the better off you're going to be. And I realize, you know, I, I, I totally get what, what you're all up against today. You're up against all of the bad teaching that has been absolutely, ridiculously ludicrous about nothing with God, nothing in the Bible, but it's thrown up in the air as this is really what Christianity is. And a lot of that has fallen on a lot of people today. And they have a hard time getting through the truth of God because the truth of God is so abstract to where modern-day Christianity tries to tell you what the truth is. And it's an absolute sham. And that's why many times when people hear stuff like this, they have two reactions. You've got to be kidding me. Ain't no way I want to be part of that. Or they'll say, wow, that really makes sense to me. And once you get to that point that it makes sense to you and you start putting that process into your world, then God's going to open up the book to you and he'll give you, give you what you need. But, uh, you know, I, I say it all the time. I, 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 feel, <clears throat> I feel sorry for, all the, for young Christians today. I feel sorry for young pastors today. They have been sold uh, a lie. And, uh, and what even is more tragic, most of them, wholeheartedly bought it because they had been raised in an environment where education, Bible colleges, scholarship has been held up as true biblical Christianity and nothing could be farther from the truth. Real biblical Christianity has nothing to do with Bible colleges. Scholarship has everything to do with a Bible-believing New Testament local church with a pastor who believes the Bible and believes his responsibility is to get what he knows to you. Everything other than that is a waste of time. But that's what you're up against. And it's a thing where, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I said it before, when you lose your Bible, you lose seven things that are the key to Christianity. And it's not just a matter that you lose your Bible and you can't find it, figure it out anymore. You lose everything because everything in your Christian life is wraps around that book. So things like today, when you get into Hebrews chapter 11, understanding that the things that God made are made by the things that you and I can't see, but yet he holds them together. That when God created everything back in the day, he created after the pattern of himself. And that's why the, the completeness of everything in the Bible will always follow a pattern of threes. Because God is complete. The number of perfection is seven, but the number of completion is three. And that's the way that it works. In this world, you got the air, the land, and the sea. Only got three. Music has melody, harmony, and rhythm. Three. I mean, a family is a husband and wife, but they're not complete till the third part shows up, and now they're a family. You have everything in life, uh, no answer to any problem. A, uh, two and two is not complete till you get the third part and you figure out that it's six. It's, it's just the way that it works. And God is, a, God is a body, soul, and spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So when he made you, he made you a body, soul, and spirit. When he made the earth, he made everything in a system of threes. Three kingdoms, animal, vegetable, and mineral. 
I mean, everything. Everything is in a pattern of threes. And when he made the things that are visible, he made them by something that nobody could see. And there's three parts to it. And that's the atom. And it's a thing where uh, that's what holds it all together. And he does. He's before all things. And by all things, him consists. And that's what makes it work. And uh, when he wants to destroy it, when he wanted to create it, he held it all together. And when he wants to destroy it, he's going to take it all apart. And what man is doing now as he gets outside the Bible and gets into the atomic world for his power, and he uses atomic power to wield uh, his power as a nation, it's just a cheap carbon copy of what God is going to do and is doing when he unleashes it all and burns out and purges out the second heaven. Man is just a, in everything he does, in endeavor he tries, is just a cheap imitation of what God is doing on a galactic scale. And the quicker you see that, the more you'll get dialed into the Bible and out of this mess of the world and more you'll put your faith and trust in a book and what God has done and what he's going to do and what he's doing right now in your life than, than everything else. All right, we'll hold up there.